It's the last me and my team and the news of 2021. Remember, 2020 when we thought that year was ending? Yay, 2021! It'll be totally different. Nope. Yeah. But here we are. I'm Tim. And I'm Ben. And we're so glad you're joining us again this uh, episode here in December. It's been a busy December, a lot of news, a lot of things happening in life. Ben has finished his first semester back in real life school, <laughs> which he loves. Right, Benjamin? Sure. Yeah. I'm still working from home, uh, which I enjoy very much because the zero minute commute is very nice. So, Benjamin, there's there's been a lot of news. Yeah. What things are catching your eye these days? Oh, man, where to begin? Let's see. I think we should start with it's either the tornadoes or... Mm. Actually, yeah, let's start with the tornadoes. Yeah, that was really quite something. So we used to live in Kentucky, uh, fairly north of where the tornadoes hit. And we used to live in Missouri, across the river from where the Amazon tornado hit, uh, a place we've driven through many times. Um so you saw the coverage, you saw the terrible stories, right? What mm -hmm. kind of coverage did you come across as a teenager? Uh, a lot of it was about a candle factory. Yeah. Where a lot of people died and a lot were injured because they didn't go home when there were tornadoes. So, Well, to be fair, generally standard policy at a workplace is it's safer to go to the safe zone than to get out on the roads in the middle of tornadoes. Mm. Um, but they probably weren't building safety plans for a 200-mile-long tornado. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, it's just a tragedy through and through, and I've never heard of tornadoes in December. Oh, they're not that uncommon, actually. Yeah. I've never heard of it being, like, 60 degrees in December. That's, you know, it's pretty uncommon for where we live to have it be, you know... 60 degrees in December. You know, it's not actually as uncommon as people might think. It's, you know, not the standard, but every four or five years, you know, it'll be warm like that. And in fact, you might recall, I remember the terrible tornadoes that hit Alabama and Georgia, uh, but in, including Tuscaloosa, where the University of Alabama is, um, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And there were December tornadoes. Uh, it's just sort of this misnomer that they only happen in the, the spring because the conditions can happen anytime. I guess you're right. But still, it's it's a tragedy for sure. And is that the cover you saw mostly, sort of the tragedy of, of what happened? Or did you see more um, politically motivated headlines? Or what kind of headlines and, and videos and things did you see? No, it's definitely, you know... Yeah, this is a tragedy because I know a lot of things in America can get political, but I'd like to see someone try to politicize a tornado. Well, they it's it's do. it's very very difficult, I imagine. And did you see personal stories of the people, anybody who had died, or the survivor stories, or anything? Not really. It was really just focusing on because there were so many people killed and so many areas affected. I think it's impossible to tell the stories of everyone. Hmm. It really, though, I have to say it hit home, you know, when I saw some of the personal stories. And that's really, as a journalist, that's what you focus on. You kind of give the, here is the broad overview, here are the numbers, here's what we know technically. And then you help people see this as people and not numbers. One of the 
interviews I saw that was from Wave 3 television there in Louisville interviewed a woman live whose apartment was destroyed. And so she was walking around the apartment. She'd been at, at work. And there was a door that came from somewhere else that had landed on her kitchen. And she was rubble underneath it. And so as she walked in her kitchen, she just walked over this door instead of the rubble. Well, she went home. I uh, went not home. That wasn't home. <laughs> she went to her mother's house. Got a call from her landlord the next morning. And a child who'd been missing was found dead in her apartment under the door. Uh, you know, the child who had been flown from three blocks away. Wow, that's that's just heartbreaking. I mean, I don't think there's any other way to put it. Yeah, and that's uh, the power of these tornadoes. I mean, you, you just think you're safe, and you don't live in the hurricane area. You don't live where wildfires happen. <laughs> But these tornadoes can come up and tear through. But those are the stories I, I feel like, you know, I know your generation. I know you, you don't watch television news. Not really. Basically, ever. Cable but, news isn't really a thing for, like, anyone under the age of 27. Well, that's not really cable news. That's a local TV news station. But I think the one thing TV news does is it brings home the drama, the emotion, the real story of what happened and what it means for people's lives in a way that other forms can't. Newspaper to a degree, radio to a degree, the internet to a degree, that I still don't think anything can bring home the impact yeah. better than television. Definitely. I mean, the visual imagery always helps. I definitely think, you know, when covering these kinds of stories, I... I almost, a part of me feels like, I don't know how you feel about this, but I kind of always feel it's a bit insensitive to just, like, have a reporter walk up to someone whose house was destroyed and, like, hi, how do you feel your house was destroyed? I just don't think that's necessarily awesome. Like, could, can you wait? This is not a great time. Well, is that your perception of how reporters walk up and start conversations? I mean, how else do they do it? Hi, I'm so-and-so from Channel So-and-So News. Would you like to talk about how your house got destroyed? Mm, that, that's at, basically at a base it, line, right? You know, typically it'll start more like approaching them as human beings, approach other human beings. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. Would you like to share your story? You know, this is who I am. And people, quite truly, people around the world were watching news wanting to see what was really happening there, particularly in Kentucky. And it's those stories of the people who were affected. And by the way, really the only time people can tell their story and people will pay attention because three months from now, no one three cares. days from now, everyone has moved on, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think we've already kind of forgotten about the tornadoes. I mean, it's still lingering, but there's new news now. Uh, yeah? Like, uh, let's see, uh, Kim Potter, the officer who accidentally, but not accidentally, kind of shot Dante Wright well, after yelling taser and... And grabbing yeah. a gun instead of a taser. So, she was sentenced to prison, right? Uh, she hasn't been sentenced, but she or was she... found guilty. Okay, she's convicted, and um, I did see something that said... You know, there's no win here. That's two lives destroyed. What did we learn from this? 
So I'll ask you, ask you that question. When you saw that she was convicted, what was your emotional response? It was kind of a, huh, I mean, justice has been done, but it almost feels a bit, you know, bittersweet. Because we know it was an accident, but it's, you know, still a crime. I'm not saying she didn't deserve to go to prison, but it's just a scenario really where it was a lot better if it never happened for anyone. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, I, I feel sorry for pretty much everyone involved. And, again, you know, I I know there's a lot of you know, controversy, especially around jury decisions, but the way I look at it is that 12 men and women, her peers, in their heart of hearts decided that she was guilty. And we as the American people have to accept that because that is the system of justice that we have. Well, that logic makes some sense, though. It only goes so far, right? But the other question, though, is will anything change? I mean, I guess the change that people might look for is say, well, let's implement procedures where that kind of a mistake can't happen um i definitely think that's right you know when you see a problem you fix the problem that's not rocket science and i feel like especially with the issue of policing it's hey there's a problem let's fix it and you know neither side either wants to agree to fix it or can't agree on which way to fix the issue of police brutality. You know? And a, a big argument I hear both for and against police is it's just a few bad apples. Yeah. And, you know, sure, fine, fair enough. But still, when you're in such a position of authority, in a position of power... Having just a few bad apples isn't good enough, you know? You can't have people die and say, Ah, oh, well, you're always going to have those bad apples. Can't do anything about that. And so I think it's not right that you can make the argument, Yeah, sure, there are a lot of bad cops, but there are also a lot of good ones. So it's all fine, you know? It is, does bring up questions of, and some departments have made changes in hiring, changes in training, you know, will that be enough? When it all comes down to that moment, a moment when we as humans, whether police officer or the person being accosted by the police officer, uh, are in a heightened adrenaline state uh, with fear or, what was, what's the saying, fight or flight kicking in. yeah. You know, will we in those moments be able to make the best decision that keeps everybody safe? Um, and I wonder, I know there is some training for that, but I think with I, any amount of training, you're going to still have terrible outcomes, at least some of the time. I know. Just from those situations. But then again, I'd also like to point out that American police officers are not exactly the most rigorously trained. For example, let's take a country like Germany. Germany, to become a police officer, you have to get a two-year degree. Um, for an American police officer, you need, in America, you need more training and more hours to become a barber than you do to become a police officer. Those scissors are sharp. I know. And guns hurt. Yes. 
And, and I, I definitely think that I think the problem isn't... I think there are two ways to go about the problem. The first is to reform the justice system as the as a whole because I don't think police are necessarily a problem. They're just a symptom of the problem. Mm. You know, the fact that they're put in these positions because they don't have any training of how to deal with this is kind of a problem in itself. And secondly, I think, again, a lot more training and better policies to make sure that if there are bad apples that they can't get hired and to correct behavior and more discipline for officers and to hold them to that same standard as normal citizens or you know what honestly i'm fine with holding them to a higher standard than normal citizens we don't pay them at a higher standard compared to other positions yeah but we also give them a gun and say go protect and serve i think the you know, authority that comes with that, you know, police can't effectively do their job if there is no trust in, if there's no trust from the public. And right now there's no trust from the public. So it's a matter of both correcting the problem and also regaining the public's trust. And until we solve those problems, I don't think anything's going to change. You know, I think the entire justice system as a whole has to, you know, come to terms with systemic racism and move forward in a way that's best for everyone and a more humane solution. You know, I don't think I worded that great, but... I think we get the point. Yeah. It'd be nice if there were fewer bad guys, too. It would, but still, you know... The American justice system long has problems, you know. We do incarcerate more people than China or anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. We incarcerate more of our population. It's it's almost never good in an election to say, let more criminals out of prison. Yeah, and I think that's the problem, is people would rather put their political fortunes other than actually fixing a real issue that affects millions of people. You know, speaking of that concept, I I don't know if you're quite old enough to read this book, but I just was at the library and picked up a copy of John Boehner's book, On the House. Mm. Um, And whatever, you know, your politics are, um, he, now that he is out of politics and just doesn't care what anybody thinks of him, he's written this book that is blunt and witty and... uh, also does things like take two-year-long complicated negotiations on major things and turns them into two sentences of how they were decided. <laughs> so it's a little bit flip, too, but it's it's an enjoyable book. But he has whole sections where he talks about the difference between people who came to Congress because they were trying to solve problems and the people who use coming to Congress as a way to just get more attention for themselves and don't actually care about the substance of what they're doing. They'll take whatever position gets them the most attention. Yeah, I definitely think that's a problem. You know, with all the crazies we have in Congress now, you know, I think at a point we just have to realize that they're just trolling for our attention. They know that the things they're saying are outrageous and wrong. 
They're just doing it because it gets them the spotlight. Which means they get more money, which means they can win their campaigns. It's a strategy to act mm-hmm. like an idiot. Well, isn't that a strategy that we generally see in modern media anyway? I you guess know, you're right. You whether know. it's the Jesse Smollett case that recently... It's shock value. Shock value, say anything to get people's attention. Because attention seems to have become the end goal. Whether yeah. it's good attention, bad attention... All publicity is good publicity. That seems that way. No matter how how illogical it might be. And that, that my friends, is Democracy Today. Yay! <laughs> Speaking of Democracy, I know you were quite upset. Uh, we were talking the other day about the Build Back Better Bill not passing. Yeah. Uh, what uh, What bothers you about that bill not passing? It's just, you know, I think it's just general frustration that Congress can't ever do anything but fight. Mm. I mean... Back to what we were talking about. It's a, We've had this group of opposition that says it's better that nothing get done. And they complain about nothing getting done because they stopped it from getting done. Yeah. And I definitely think that, you know, with the bill right now, it's stalled in the Senate because Joe Manchin doesn't feel like it. Yeah, so and you, you, I definitely think with hyper political polarization, it puts all the power of the American federal government into like three people's hands. You know, mm-hmm. like a few key moderates can completely shape the national discourse on politics. And I think, you know, is that how democracy is supposed to work. Are we supposed to put that much power in the hands of three people? Personally, I argue not. But uh, on the flip side, let me ask you this. How many senators voted against the Build Back Better plan? Uh, Like 50? 50. They haven't actually voted on it yet, I don't think. 51, right? So it's not one senator who blocked it. It's 51 senators who blocked it. And I think the bigger problem is that our democracy is built on people being in Congress who have their interests but work to find the best things they can for what the government should do. Instead, we've got my team and your team or their team and our team, and everything is going through on one side or the other. Yeah, and I definitely think that's probably the biggest downside of... Mm -hmm two-party politics it's you know it turns it into kind of like a almost like a sports competition my team versus your team right you know with a multi-party system compromise is almost like a daily thing you have to compromise with the other parties and form a diverse coalition of many beliefs in order to get the bills passed that you want here it's like you know you've got one party or the other don't like them too bad and didn't we, how much was this Build Back Better bill for? I forget. It was like $1.2 trillion? Yeah, somewhere around there. Which is a lot of money. Eh, not really. You would think that for that amount of money, you'd like to have some sort of agreement um, on both sides, right? It's like a year and a half worth of the military's budget. Really, it's not a whole lot. The military, by the way, did you see this news? Uh, has developed a vaccine that may be effective against any COVID and any SARS. I have not seen that. I'm surprised it isn't getting wider play. The first thing, 
the thing they came out with that said that there's an announcement expected in a few weeks. Vaccine they've been developing at Walter Reed, and that it would be effective against any COVID, any SARS. Now they say a wide array of COVID and a wide array of SARS because they have to test it against every variety first to see, but it has that potential, some kind of different kind of vaccine. But it hasn't gotten a lot of media attention, which is sort of interesting hmm. um, so far. It may change when they officially announce it. It's all. Been... I think that's definitely what's driving the lack of announcement. You know, a lot of news sources, or at least used to be more scrupulous, and they don't want to go off the, oh, they might make an announcement about something that might mm-hmm. happen. We got to publish this right away. I mean, mm. have you seen the internet? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But still, I think more reputable news sources are a bit hesitant because, you know, you don't really want to publish a story if you don't have 90% of the facts, you know? Wow. You might even try for all the facts. Yeah. And even verifying stuff, like calling sources and checking them and double-checking with outside sources to make sure something is right. Yeah. You know, honestly, I think it's a good thing that the military is developing a vaccine to get it accessible to more people. But the problem is, America, we have enough vaccines for everyone. Heck, we're even tripling up on them. And the thing is, it's not the fact that we don't have vaccines. That hasn't been a problem since, like, April. I think the problem is, is that there's still a lot of misinformation and a lot of hesitancy. Yeah, sure. And I don't know if the military developing a COVID vaccine is going to solve that. Because, you know, here's your military-made government vaccine. I don't think is going to... Again, it's probably perfectly safe and fine. But still, among conspiracy theorists and skeptics, it's really not going to convince them. What? I'm shocked to hear that people wouldn't trust the military vaccine more than they trust one from large biotech companies. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, the U.S. military has done less than reputable things over the years. Cough, cough, all of Latin America. Well, no, that wasn't... The, they, they were just following orders. Yeah, sure. Right? The, the, the whole uh, Monroe Doctrine and all that. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt, by the way... A lot of folks might think that some of those interventions by, on behalf of the United States were not really great, but people love Teddy Roosevelt. So it just shows you the power of personality is more important in America, and always has been, than the power of politics. Of course, because people don't want boring facts read by boring people with a boring voice. Why do you think Trump won? It's because Hillary Clinton has had the... Uh see, personality of... Benjamin, don't even. I'm going to say mashed potatoes. Benjamin, which is just simply not Okay, she's a lot less charismatic than Donald Trump. Okay, that's fair to say. We can at least agree on that. I think it plays into the, again, going back to the two-party system, where when you only have these two monoliths of parties, it's really hard to stand out from that. Well, if you have a whole lot of smaller parties, there's a whole lot of different leaders and different opinions. But with these two large parties... You have to say some crazy stuff to get some national attention. And, you know, charisma. If you want to talk about charisma changing an election, Bill Clinton coming from nowhere to win the 92 presidential election. Uh, charisma Who was did he beat a again? big part of that. He, the incumbent, George H.W. Bush. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We had the first economic slowdown in 12 years, and that was enough to knock that along with Ross Perot. But that's a story for another day. Uh-huh. 
Uh, speaking of days, so one of the things that we like to talk about in this podcast is what it's like to work in news. I worked in news for over 20 years. Actually, before you get what? to that, All right. about the news, this is actually on the topic. Did you hear that uh, Chris Wallace left Fox? I did. He's going to the new CNN streaming service. And with that, the last fig leap of Fox's impartiality has been removed. Now, that is not true. There are still many fine journalists at Fox Ex- TV. Name one. Um, well... I don't watch the reporters exactly. much anymore. Exactly, exactly. It was only Chris Wallace. No, he, among the show hosts, that's perhaps a little bit different. Fox News, among the news reporters, has always done a fairly good job. Now, that's different, see, in our minds. In the media world, we can say, well, the news reporter is clearly different than the opinion show host. Well, to viewers, there's not that much of a difference, right? So yeah. I did read where Chris Wallace said that he was promised when he first came on with Fox News that he could do things the way he felt like he should. He could book his own guests. He could have his own shows with no interference. And they said they kept their word all the way through. They never stopped him from doing what he felt like was good journalism. And I don't know how I didn't know this. I didn't realize that he was the son of Mike Wallace, the longtime CBS 60 Minutes. Yeah. Yeah. journalism star so talk about a legacy of of strong journalism that has changed this country of course i do think his show definitely was very rigorous journalism i think it was definitely as impartial as you could be on a fox show did you watch his show not really but i mean they got him to moderate the presidential debate yeah i'm pretty sure that's like the highest honor a journalist can get at this point I don't know. I did interview Willie Nelson on his tour bus. That was a pretty high honor. Who's Willie Nelson? Oh, my gosh. Exactly. That's yeah. just terrible. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Lots of people have interviewed Willie Nelson. It's it's not much of an accomplishment. It's an amazing accomplishment and, and a true highlight. Okay, who else have you interviewed? Uh, well, there was that Barack Obama fella when he was a state senator, and then Claire McCaskill. Wait, you interviewed Barack Obama? Yes, when he was a state senator running in the Democratic primary uh, for the Senate seat in Illinois. Ah. Yeah. It was a five-minute interview, but he really did give amazing answers. In fact, at that time, so the George W. Bush presidency was going really well, and the Republicans had, in the previous congressional elections, picked up a lot of seats, so I asked him, well, what does the Democratic Party have to do to turn that around? And his answer, without hesitating, was religion. We have to get back to knowing that religion has a home in the Democratic Party, and it's important, and it matters. And I thought, hmm. that was not an answer I was even thinking of. But he was, you know, really interesting in his answers. And of course, I, I've also uh, interviewed, as I mentioned, Claire McCaskill and Matt Blunt, did a whole political special around them and their Missouri uh, Senate campaign against each other. Um, I met Mikhail Gorbachev um, after a news conference, so I didn't actually interview, interview him. him. Uh, so, you know, I've gotten to... Meet a few people. Meet a few people, interview them in person, which, you know, is actually one of the things in this um, recent seminar I did with an organization called Trust in News. One of the challenges that we've gotten to is that there are fewer journalists Um, and that the journalists are spending less time in the public, partly because of the pandemic, partly because the Internet has changed how journalists do news. 
And what it means is that fewer people are meeting journalists in person. And it really makes a difference when you've met someone in person as you trust them and know they're a real person versus your only experience with them is through the internet or social media or just a box on TV. And that's one of the challenges we have today is that people who are in the media are often so far detached from personal contact with everyday people that there becomes a barrier that is easy to manipulate there it and makes make it them, easier to not trust them. It makes them come off like um, all high and mighty, like, you know, that it looks like they know better than everyone else and that the rest of them are just unwashed masses of peasants, you know? Media is always telling us what to do, right? I guess, but I think that's a general thing, especially among the public, that the media is just a bunch of these snobby college-educated journalists who hmm. don't really understand how the world works. Ah, uh, yes, how I, the world works. And I definitely think that trust in the media is key to a democracy. I mean, we've seen, especially in other nations across the world, when trust in the media goes down, that, that that's just the gateway to dictatorship. That's how Myanmar, India, starting to go that direction yeah. and so that's why it's really important that you know people trust in the media and you know there's a difference between people trusting in the media and the media being worthy of trust true and both I, those things need to happen and i think we're struggling with both you know people don't trust in the media and the media there's definitely it just seems like a circus at this point especially mm. with the national politics. Which is what the national politicians who do things that they don't want you to know about want. They turn everything into a circus. Nobody trusts the media. You can't believe anything you see. Therefore, you won't believe them when they tell you about the scandal or about how you're being ripped off or, you know, whatever the truth may be behind something. Yeah, and, you know, I think almost every cable news opinion political show has basically become, you know... CNN's cross, the old CNN crossfire with Tucker Carlson, mm -hmm. where it was just two people yelling, you know, partisan talking points at each other and calling that news. Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's still hope for some great uh, dialogue out there. Hey, let me ask you this question. Uh, Christmas morning. Yeah. In the city of Philadelphia, this used to be true, I don't know if it still is, um, the number one morning show... Highest rated morning show on Christmas morning. Can you guess what they showed on that television station Christmas morning? Something Christmassy, like a tree? I don't know. Wow, that's a really good guess. They showed a continuous loop of a Yule log burning for a couple of hours and played some music underneath it um, or natural fire sounds. And people would turn that on and they'd have it going Christmas morning while they opened their presents. Hmm. It was brilliant and wonderful and community oriented. And I've always just always a great story. But a Christmas tree, that's a really, really good guess. Have I told you this story before? No. Are you sure? Yes. Wow. I mean, if it's on Christmas morning, it's probably something Christmassy, well, I have to imagine. You will find all across the country there are journalists working Christmas morning, bringing hours of live news coverage uh, to everyone, right? And I've been there. Uh, news is a 24-7 deal. 
especially television news. Whether it's 2 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday or 3 in the afternoon on a Wednesday, news is always happening somewhere, and there's always somebody working. And so people tend to think, I've talked to anchors who've done this, you know, they think about, oh, that poor anchor on Christmas morning having to work. Well, it's not just that anchor, it's the reporter out in the field, that there's a reporter, the photographer, the people running the studio cameras, the teleprompter operator, the technical directors, the producers creating the newscast, and then usually there's other people as well, depending on how big the staff is. Now, today's technology, you can have a smaller staff, but you still have a staff of people all working on the holidays. At least like 15 or 20, right? Uh, You can do it now with as few as like six people in the building. Um, used to be more like 10 to 15, but that's depending still... on how big it is. But, and there's always this problem, you know, especially as managers, you're like, well, we want to re- reward the people working Christmas in some way, but then you've got to figure out a way. It's like, okay, well, we'll send them food. Well, now you've got to find somebody and make them work on Christmas to cater in. Or just, like, pay them more money. Well, that know? too, but that doesn't feel like Christmas to give them more money. Yes, it does. Hmm. I'd love for my Christmas gift to just yeah. be like, Ah, yeah, here's an extra $1,000. That'd be the greatest present I ever got. $1,000. Yes, well, that would be a first in the media world for that. Uh, But it is also a conundrum in some sense because it's Christmas Day, right? So you want to do news that people watch, but if you're just like, hey, it's Christmas, so all the stuff that happens every Christmas is happening again, uh, and we're going to talk about it for three hours. Uh, maybe there's some weather. Can we talk about the weather? Oh, no, it's 40 degrees and stable and clear out and nothing is changing. Yeah. Huh. Okay, what else are we going to talk about for three hours? Well, hey, it's Christmas. Yeah. And those are the good years because the bad years are when bad stuff happens on Christmas. I, you know, there was one year when I was working in Louisville. Terrible story Christmas morning. It was a fire at a really big, nice house, well-known family that uh, the grandchildren were visiting. And a space suitor had gone and caught fire and half the house burned down. That was the half where the children were. It was a terrible story Christmas morning. And so then you're in those situations where you're, you suddenly go from, hey, it's Christmas, we're going to have a nice, happy newscast talking about Christmas, to three hours of like, hey, I know you're all celebrating Christmas, but we're going to talk about this terrible tragedy for three hours because yeah. it's the news. And it can be really hard and hard for the journalists, too, and hard to figure out the right way to do things with that. And again, I think, you know, on days where stuff like that happens, I don't really think that people want to watch that. Mm. So, you know, it's not going to be like, hi, it's Christmas morning, 12 people died. Merry Christmas. Well, you 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 just do it straight news. You sort of forget about talking about the Christmas things, you know, and just kind of do it as news, and here's what it is. Yeah, but who And because people, you know, do the news. Now, of course... A lot of people were watching the news, and so there's a large outpouring of support to try to help that family, plus cautionary tales for how it happened so people could avoid tragedies for themselves. That's why the news matters. The news only matters if it gives you information that you can use to make a difference in your own lives or in the world. But anyway, so that's a little bit quick look of what it's like to wear Christmas um, and to figure out the holiday schedule, whether it's New Year's or... And then it's also different if you are of a non-Christian faith, you know, working on the Jewish holidays and how to arrange schedules for that. Uh, It's always, you know, an interesting scheduling challenge, but also an interesting challenge to figure out what is the right level of staffing for these days? How much do we need to have in? Do we 
just get by on the bare minimum, or you know, some stations will run programming instead of news, which is also nice. Yeah. But even when they do that, there's still a master control operator sitting in there making sure it all runs smoothly. So next time you're watching TV on Christmas, think about the people sitting behind the camera who are working away there. True for New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. I guess that's true for really any job, isn't and, it? Well, yes. Also be nice to your gas station attendants. They've got to work holidays too. I guess. We take them for granted. But, you know, they have lives and they'd rather be somewhere else. But they're there dealing with you to make sure you have gasoline and Fritos. Yep. Yep. Anyway, sponsor time. <laughs> yes, this podcast is sponsored by Post by Futuri Media. We use Post to post this podcast and distribute it. It's the leading podcast platform for broadcasters across America. If you've thought about starting a podcast, or if you have a podcast, want to make sure you're getting the most out of your podcast software in reaching your audience in advertising, and then any need you might have to connect with those who want to hear your content, make sure you check out Post at futurimedia.com. Well, it's been a lovely 2021. Can't wait for 2022. I'm sure it's going to be awesome every single day. Oh, yeah. Quick fact. The original Doom games take place in 2022, so that's going to be cool. Uh, rock! Yeah. That's, that's me making Doom sounds. I used to play Doom on the original games. Yeah, that was fun. Anyway. Wow, thank you for that. So, clearly, only good things can happen. We're going to shoot those COVID monsters and celebrate with however you celebrate at the end and when. I don't recall ever actually winning. <laughs> but we'll get there. And here's hoping that 2022 is a wonderful year for you and your family and your friends and your enemies too. Let's make everybody happy. Yeah, sure. That's me and my team and News. I'm Tim. And I'm Ben. And good night. <laughs>